Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome your hosts of that startup show, Benjamin Law and Ray Johnson. Startup show. I'm Ray Johnston, and this is my co-host with the co-most, Benjamin Law. <laughs> what you may not have realised is that those phone boxes we emerged from are actually cash grab booths. Of course, you couldn't see any money in there because it was all cryptocurrency, which doesn't exist. Yeah, it's like I've got some Ethereum on me. Is that dandruff coin? Actually, what is that that you're wearing? Oh, okay. So this is my launch merch for the Ben Coin, the newest cryptocurrency to market. In fact, if you want a piece of this exciting new ICO, you can actually scan me right now. You are a walking QR code. Yeah, we've got to fund this show somehow. I'm serious, peeps. Well, tonight we are talking money. Where does it come from? What do you do when you get it? Is all money equal? Who is money and why? Is seven years of unfinished tax returns too many? I'm asking for a friend. The big questions. Look, most startups fail within two years, which would be fine if they were an Australian prime ministership. But really disappointing for a small business being run out of a shed. And so much of it comes down to money, right? Because money is power. And power is energy. And energy is mass. And mass is weight. And weight rhymes with hate. And if the Phantom Menace taught us anything, it's that hate leads to suffering. If the Phantom Menace taught me anything, it's that I do not dig Ewan McGregor with a ponytail. Not this again. Get me started on Hayden Christensen's little rat tail thing. I'm sorry, but this is my show now. My list of 20-year-old hair gripes. I'm just being told that I'm fired. <laughs> now, investors will ask a lot of questions before they give you what the industry is calling moolah. Them doubloons. What's your burn rate? What's your churn rate? What's your customer acquisition metric? How many daily actives? How big is the market? How fast can you scale? What's your plan to monetize? What's the likely exit? An IPO, an M&A? Now, personally, I'm a fan of the NCIS. Is that where you launch a spin-off set in Los Angeles? Exactly, with LL Cool J. But, Ray, investors aren't just driven by the numbers. They're also mot motivated by herd mentality. Yes, rushing towards the hot new thing or away from something that's fallen out of favour, just like big, dumb animals. Who could destroy us with their millions of dollars. <laughs> so, publicity, perception and timing are also crucial. Which is why tonight we are going to get to the bottom of how you can be in the right place at the right time, saying the right things, wearing the right underwear to get the right funding for your brain baby. Is that what we're calling them? Or skull spawn? Brain baby it is. Remember, if you want to join in the conversation, you can do it by tweeting us at TSU Show or using the hashtag That Startup Show. So, obviously, Ben, you and I are both all about money. Absolutely. You know I had a show on SBS, Multicultural Broadcasters, where the millions of dollars are at. Zimbabwe dollars, but still. <laughs> and as a journalist, I mean, talk about rivers of gold. But that was more because you couldn't afford to fix the office coffee machine, right? Still counts. But just in case that's not enough, we've bought in some PWAX, or people who actually know stuff. Our first guest had a 20-year career on Wall Street in asset management and in securities research. That's in securities research, not the research of insecurities. <laughs> 
Although she may have come across some of those as well. She was also global head of cash and short duration at CS Asset Management. She's now a managing partner at Golden Seeds LLC and Golden Seas Fund 2, investing in over 40 companies predominantly led by women. Please welcome Joanne Cochran. And our next guest is a technologist and entrepreneur who's spent two decades designing, building and advising businesses across blockchain, machine learning and even future food, which I've always thought was anything currently in the microwave. <laughs> he was also executive director at MyVote, a not-for-profit democratic movement. Now, if you're wondering what a not-for-profit democratic movement looks like, basically the opposite of the Trump family. He has since co-founded one of Australia's first blockchain projects, which ICO'd for almost $2 million. Please welcome Horizon State CEO and founder, Jamie Skelton. Welcome, welcome. So the financial world is currently in a state of flux. I wanted to ask, what is the future of money? How will we measure value in 20 years' time, say? Should, should I keep hold of my bottle caps, basically? Well, I would. Yes. Um, I, I hate to say this in front of a room full of entrepreneurs, um, but my perspective as an investor is that there's lots of money out there right now trying desperately to find its way into uh, startups and growth companies. I know sometimes as an investor, as an entrepreneur, you don't feel that way. It feels exactly the opposite. But for me, there's just a flood of money going into things. And most of it is still coming through the traditional pathways of uh, high net worth individuals, angel investors, either singularly or working in groups, um, or through the venture business where somebody else manages your money and puts it into a uh, the early stage investments. We are seeing some different things in the US now and the UK where we're seeing um, equity crowdfunding platforms where people can essentially put smaller amounts of money into deals and use a different set of uh, securities laws to do that. And I think you're going to have a similar thing here in Australia. And then um, Jamie's can speak about the real innovation in the market for money. But my feeling is until we see a, a, a global recession or some kind of major liquidity event, there's lots of money out there trying to find a place. Mm. And Jamie, does that fly with the Australian conversation and context as well, that there is a flood of money struggling and trying to find the right uh, projects and startups to invest in? There's, uh, there's certainly a, a flood of money, finally. It's been pretty tough for Australian investors, um, uh, entrepreneurs, sorry, not investors, uh, in respect to finding um, appropriate volumes of funding for ideas uh, locally. Um, I think there's, there's still a little bit of burnout from high net worth individuals from, from the dot-com bust. Uh, it's, a, it's a long, long hangover in this case, uh, and a lot of people would argue that there isn't really a, a venture capitalist scene here in this country, and so finding money has been tough uh, up until the advent of um, this token sale model, an ICO, or a, 
uh, token uh, generation event, whatever you'd like to call it. Uh, and this has really made it clear that the, the money is available, maybe not so much locally, uh, but when you're able to take away the gatekeeper, take away a, a middleman, um, and I guess be able to raise in a much more peer-to-peer -peer way with lots of people from all around the world, that there's absolutely enough money there. And I think we're seeing quite crazy amounts of money flow into to some deals because of this. You know, ICO is raising hundreds of millions of dollars in some instances, um, in many instances unjustifiably, I would say. Um, so I guess that's the, that's the future of funding, the, the future of money more broadly. Uh, I'm obviously a believer that, that crypto assets and cryptocurrency um, has, has a pretty important role to play uh, moving into the future as well. Mm. So digital bottle caps. Yes. <laughs> now, speaking of funding, uh, Jamie, Joe, we're now going to play a game called Fire fund or advisory board. Now, this is how it's going to work. I will list some names and you have to buzz in and tell me if you'd fire them, fund them or put them on your advisory board. And we do need to remember that putting someone on your advisory board is basically one step above adding them to your Google circles. Mm. <laughs> now, can you please test your buzzers? Uh, Jamie. Lovely. Joe? <laughs> Let's get started. Fire, fund or board member, Evan Spiegel. I think I would fire. Ooh. Ooh, any reason why? Look, I've, I've thought about it. Uh, it's mm -hmm. probably just because I'm already too old to understand his product. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay, Joe, Jamie. Uh, fire, fund or advisory board, Beyonce. <laughs> Oh, that was very enthusiastic. That's <laughs> not a question. Because <laughs> of fun, because she's off. Excellent. Yes. Next name on the list, Travis Kalanick. That one's easy, uh, because he's already been fired. Mm. The decision's been made for you. The decision's you. been made. And you wouldn't um, make a different one? Um, look, he, he, may be, he may be an innovator. He may be a tremendous entrepreneur. I'm not sure. I've only been observing from afar. But it, it's clear that he probably isn't the best um, people person. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, there's some, some pretty significant HR issues that uh, he's left in the aftermath over at Uber. Yeah. Next name on the list, Elizabeth Holmes. Fire. Oh. Yeah. I mean, the decision's been already made for you as well. From my vantage point, for years you were looking at that company, and Elizabeth Holmes is a, was the CEO of Theranos. This was a company where the board was filled up with people of note who knew nothing about the industry in which the company was supposedly innovating in. There was nobody on that board who knew anything about that industry and no investor in that company that had any expertise. This was a... <laughs> <laughs> from a long time ago. <laughs> Last one, everyone. Uh, fund, fire. What, what were the options again? Or fund, advisory or advisory board. board. This is your game, Ben. You should know. <laughs> Last one. Fund, fire, or advisory board. According to Forbes magazine, a self-made billionaire, Kylie Jenner. <laughs> Advisory board. <laughs> Not going to fund her? There was a huge helping hand from the Kardashian empire, but given that, she's still really connected. There's lots of money floating around. And Good to have in the room. Yep. <laughs> now we want to have a bit of a chat with our panel about showing us the money. Now, Joe, we hear a lot about numbers, metrics, statistics being important in making your case when it comes to pitching a startup. But what about the story and the narrative of what you're trying to do? Um, 
you really, I, I see 30 to 40 pitches a month. Mm. And um, how much time I'm going to spend with you is going to be dictated by how much you can let me know in a very short amount of time what is the problem that you're solving mm -hmm. and why does it have value? Is the problem big enough? Do you actually, do you really solve it? And how are you going to grow that business? So having your story well put together in sort of a 30-second pitch, a two-minute pitch, and then a 10-minute pitch, I'm not going to invest in you mm -hmm. based on that. But the first couple of meetings is for you to get the next meeting and to get a meeting with the rest of my partners mm -hmm. to get us to do due diligence on your company. And of those pitches that identifies a problem and also identifies how you want to solve the problem, what then makes one of those pitches stand out? Um, so one is, so you talk about what's the value proposition, which is I have this product market fit. Then you also have to have a growth proposition because having a good idea that cost a fortune to get it into the marketplace, those two things don't balance. So you have to be able to have a good idea and have a way and an understanding of what it's going to cost you to grow that solution into a business. Mm -hmm. So those are the first two things that I want you to tell me about. And telling me a lot about your technology in the first meeting, but not telling me anything about the business probably doesn't get me to the next meeting unless there's something so completely cool about the <laughs> technology that I think Beyonce. <laughs> and, and most technologies just aren't that cool. Mm. Okay, so um, I don't invest in cool ideas. I invest in potentially big businesses. Mm. So that's the what I need you to get across. And it, it, it's it's a story. And if you already have revenue, if you already have paid pilots or anything like that, and you can show me any metrics around that, that just lets you move up the curve faster. Mm. Jamie, your story is a bit of an interesting one. Horizon State successfully funded itself with an initial coin offering, which can sometimes have a bit of a bad rap. But why did you go down the ICO route? Uh, a couple of reasons. Uh, one is that we're building out blockchain technology, so uh, leveraging the same technology to go to a capital raise uh, made sense in terms of alignment. Uh, we aren't uh, a bricks and mortar retailer trying to run an ICO. This is this is uh, legitimately relevant. Um, but I also think that philosophically, um, there was an opportunity here which which resonated with me to try and I guess um, better distribute wealth and opportunity. Um, now, this isn't necessarily to say there is strict alignment with our model, but I think. What this technology enables is the opportunity um, to uh, generate wealth uh, and investment opportunity in a much more equitable way. We have the opportunity to have people participate with just a few dollars from anywhere in the world uh, with virtually zero fees and zero borders um, and support a project that, that they love um, and hopefully share in its success. Now, there is obviously a lot of terrible stories out there, but um, something that didn't sit so well with me in, in previous raising rounds for previous startups is that when you're going out to high net worth in, uh, individuals and institutionals, um, 
if you are successful, ultimately you're continuing to, to propagate um, making the rich richer, which is all well and good. Uh, most of them, I think, have worked very hard to get there. But it is nice, I think, philosophically, whether it's a little bit uh, idealistic or not is another matter. But the idea that we can sort of spread that out a bit further um, is something uh, which I think is, is a powerful idea. Mm. Joe, what about you? Is there a problem with how some investors might view startups? There's this focus on fast initial capital growth. Does that sometimes get in the way of what some startup founders are trying to achieve? You know, there's lots of ways to have a business out there and to make a very good living from a business. And it doesn't necessarily mean that you need to raise capital Mm -hmm. because half of the businesses that get started are really, some of them are by necessity and some of them are really good lifestyle businesses where you don't need to raise capital. So, but if you are going to raise capital, I think it really generally has to be because people think there's a way to put the money in your company and then in seven to ten years get it out in some kind of liquidity event. And if there isn't relatively fast business growth, it's hard to lock up your money for that long. Mm -hmm. So um, I don't necessarily think there is a problem with the way people look at startups. I, I think there might be a problem sometimes for entrepreneurs who think that they have to go raise capital when the kind of business that they're, they're building may be better off as a bootstrapping opportunity. Mm. And how do you know the difference? Is that just about stepping back and really asking yourself, do you actually need that or not? Or is it about getting some independent sort of advice and perspective? Well, I, I think that certainly you want to get as much uh, perspective as you can possibly get. But I, I think you want to think about how big is this potential idea and how uh, protectable is it mm. and how leverageable is it? Because if it doesn't, if it's not, if the total addressable market isn't large enough that you can have consistent growth rates, you know, the first two or three or four years, you have to double to, to make it worthwhile to have an outside mm. capital investment. And if your marketplace isn't big enough for that, that doesn't mean you're not going to have a fantastic living off of your business. It just means maybe you shouldn't be raising capital. Um, So I definitely think you need to look at that. And then I think you have to look at how protectable is it? Because sometimes if you keep a business small, you don't have a lot of other people come running in to try to duplicate what you're doing. So reasons to think about that. And if you have a business that's more like a consulting business or uh, something that's not quite leverageable, whereas the revenue goes up, the expenses go up pretty much the same. That doesn't mean you can't take a nice percentage out of it, but it's probably not something that investors are going to put money in. And, you know, maybe you can't figure it out for yourself, but just go around and talk to people. Mm -hmm. And um, it's hard to raise money. And if you don't need it or your chances of getting it are slim... I think you're much better off focusing on building, bootstrapping and building your business Mm. without it. Now, Jamie, Horizon State and MyVote are redesigning democratic systems to give people more power. That's a powerful statement in itself. (laughs) Do we need to shake up startup funding or even the monetary system itself? Just the small questions here on that startup (laughs) show. Uh, Let's start with the monetary systems question. I think... We're at an interesting point in time. I mean, we've, um, we've, we've traded uh, in a 
peer-to-peer fashion for thousands uh, of years, um, anonymously, uh, directly. Uh, once it was barter and then it turned into uh, gold coins and eventually paper money, which uh, it's no longer backed by gold anyway. Um, so what we have is a relatively recent anomaly where um, quite a large portion of our transactions, um, of our monetary management, is under the, uh, the gaze of uh, institutions and governments, uh, not necessarily explicitly and overtly, uh, until of course uh, things aren't so stable um, and people aren't so complacent. Um, but the, the near-term future, especially in places like Australia where um, cash is already fading, is that we were heading towards a future where uh, that that thousand-year tradition of peer-to-peer trade, anonymous, um, direct individual trade, was kind of on the verge of um, extinction in the sense that if we, if everybody's sort of tapping and going using their credit card or Apple Pay or whatever the case might be, um, all of a sudden the entire flow of money uh, is through these institutions, which is all well and good, uh, as I alluded to earlier, when things are stable. But when things aren't so stable, um, you just have to look at other uh, less fortunate regions around the world uh, to see what happens. And so. With cash fading away and electronic being a primary means of payment, we were uh, very near um, a world um, of permanent financial surveillance um, where, as we've seen in other countries, uh, funds can be seized, funds can be uh, frozen, a clip of the tickets can be taken. Uh, And so uh, cryptocurrency in this sense has arrived just in time, I would argue, to Mm. kind of replace that cash and make sure that there is um, some self-sovereign opportunity to to manage our money in the way we see fit, even if it's only a part of our net worth, not all of it, in the same way that somebody might store some cash under the mattress, now there is uh, cryptocurrency. So uh, I guess it's defense uh, against the future and it's defense against uh, nation nation states more than anything else, which is not um, front of mind for people in this country, Um, but The world uh, is cyclical. History doesn't necessarily repeat, but it does rhyme. And uh, things won't be brilliant in Australia forever either. Um, So... Just look at my home country. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, yeah. Uh, What was the other question? Well, it also makes me think, um, what is blockchain or what will blockchain do to our concept of value? And are we already adapting quickly enough to accommodate for that change? I think it's important to make sure that we, because uh, it happens often that we're not conflating blockchain and Bitcoin or blockchain and cryptocurrency, because mm-hmm. of course they're, they're very different things. And, and Bitcoin was the first mainstream, I guess, uh, consumer adoption of such a technology. Um, the technology itself is, is really, really exciting, but it's some of the principles of Bitcoin that make it um, so profound and so potentially influential for, for, for governments and the way that society organises itself over the coming years. Um, f- for me, I think there's a lot of tremendously positive applications for blockchain outside of currency and finance, which are almost more exciting. I know this episode is supposed to be about money, but obviously I'm working um, with this technology uh, on opportunities to uh, more or less work towards the eradication of corruption in our democratic processes. Um, we have other use cases which involve peer-to-peer energy trader, power ledger over in Perth doing great work, which enables uh, Joe and Sue in the same neighbourhood to be able to uh, throw up some solar panels and trade energy automatically and cheaply and instantly between one another rather than going to uh, the big energy providers where we actually only spend 20 or 30% Um, of our bills on actual power. Everything else is related to uh, grid licensing and marketing and other overheads for that institution. Uh, And then we've got uh, the media and licensing and entertainment. Um, If we think about 
Spotify and what a, uh, a disintermediated, decentralized version of that might look like. Uh, and instead of most of your $13 going to Spotify every month, uh, most of it would go to the artists and the rest would more or less be in network fees for the people verifying transactions. So there's a huge amount of opportunity, which ultimately all has economic impact. Um, yeah. We're going to see some, some power vacuums um, and some wealth vacuums uh, start to fall um, over, the, over the coming decades, I'm sure. Um, it's, it's exciting, I think. You're an optimist, aren't you, Jamie? I, I like to think <laughs> of myself as a, a rational optimist. Yeah. <laughs> Wonderful. Now, Joe, as we mentioned in your intro, uh, you've funded a lot of female-run startups. Why is this a particular area of focus for you? Well, a couple of reasons. One, it's just fair that women should be able to participate in the private equity markets as much as men do. Um, in, in the U.S., uh, women start about half the businesses, and um, they get a really small portion of the capital. In the angel markets, they're certainly doing better. Over the last 10 years, they've gone from getting about 3 to 4% of the capital to now it goes back and forth between 20 to 25%, so that's pretty good. Yeah. But in the venture capital markets in the U.S., which are more than twice the size of the angel markets, women-funded firms still get about 3% of the capital. Mm. Virtually nothing has changed. The private equity markets, you know, the uh, later stage companies, it's even worse. So, um, so it's a matter of fairness, that's one thing. But there's also just so much research that says that diversity leads to better results. Uh, a lot of it's public company research. Uh, international public company research says that if you have the more women in, in C-suite management, the higher the return on equity. If you have even one woman on your board, you have lower price risk on your public stock. So to my mind, if you are uh, in management of some of these companies and you are not trying to diversify the brains at the table, you are committing you know, you're, you're not being a fiduciary. And there's now research that says the same thing is true about diverse uh, startups. Hmm. In the U.S., women-funded startups, uh, they uh, get to the comparable revenue levels with one-third the capital hmm. of all male founding teams. Wow. Now, part of that's necessity, but they still get there. So um, I want to take advantage of the numbers. I want to uh, get a better return, and I want to make a lot of women rich because then they can put that money back in and, and continue the tide. It's not just political correctness, it's opportunity, yes. real opportunity. <laughs> now, final question to both of you. When we talk about investing and investment, Often we solely focus on the monetary aspect. What about the other things that are being invested? Time, mentorship, care. How important are those forms of investment in that relationship? I certainly am not going to put money in a company where I do not have some insight into what's going on in the company after the fact. And um, it is also, for you as entrepreneurs, when you're out there looking for money, I think you need to remember that this is not a fly-by-night relationship that you're entering into here. If you take money from a venture fund or even from a well-organized angel, you're, you're marrying. I mean, this is like a long-term relationship. So mm -hmm. you, you should want to, you should like the person. You should make sure they like, like you. 
and then you should hope that you can get something else from them. Um, my expertise is in is the software as a services business. I know a lot about those, mostly in the in the enterprise space. So if you want me to be involved in your company, I, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to bring a lot of stuff that I know about having done this for years. Um, and so I think you want to find an investor who likes your industry, knows something, has contacts, and brings all those ancillary things. And you have to like them and trust them and respect them. And at least you want to start out that way. <laughs> mm. Trust, fondness, and respect, key ingredients that you found along the way too? Yeah, it, it really is. Um, when you are out there looking for money, um, you're selecting investors as much as you are um, the money itself. Um, it, it would be a mistake to be taking any money um, because ultimately uh, these people then will probably own a, a very large chunk of your business. And so if you don't gel well with them, uh, if you aren't aligned on vision or mission or purpose, um, then you're always going to run into hurdles which, which cause um, some pain later on. Thank you, Joe and Jamie. Well, after the failure of Bencoin, I've launched my own coin, which uses no electricity and feeds third world children on recycled hope. You can see all the details in my documentary, The Fall of Bencoin and the Rise of Raycoin. No stars from me. And that's all we have time for. Please thank our panel, Joanne Cochran and Jamie Skeller. Next week, that startup show gets its annual physical when we look at body tech. We're going to live forever, and not in the dumb metaphorical kind of live forever through art, the cool kind where they keep your head in a vat of slime. See you all in the slime bag.